Good morning. It is good to be back. Um, wasn't supposed to be a joke. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> thanks for uh, taking care of everything here, guys. Thanks for, uh, man, the kids' classrooms were full with help. Uh, set up and tear down went really, really fast. I feel like I don't even have to do that anymore, so you guys can just keep doing that. That'd be great. Um, no, I, I really, it is, it is interesting. When we started... Um, Rev, we really wanted to be invested in just a few ministries very, very deeply as opposed to dispersing ourselves super, super wide and just kind of touching a bunch of places. And so as we spend time immersing ourselves in what's going on in very specific spaces, we'll talk more about the Philippines um, in the weeks to come as well. Um, it's really, really nice to know that, that God's kingdom is advancing here at the same time, that God is still doing much here and that this continues to move forward, that you guys would continue to press into each other. So thank you for doing that, and I would encourage you to keep doing it. Don't um, just go lax and feel like, oh, okay, everything's great. There's a bunch of people that are back that weren't here. Um, please stay engaged in that. Stay a part of it and, and keep investing in that way. So thank you. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew. We're actually, Matthew, we're in chapter 13 now. Um, we're going to pick up here. Uh, this is, a, it's an interesting spot. If you don't have your Bible, slip your hands up. The ushers will bring you on. What's interesting is, is all of chapter 12 was the essentially, essentially the, the, the opposition and the rejection of Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And so what was coming at him was, was all these arguments and this fights and this battle and, and this, this assault on him. And they were trying to, to claim that what he was doing was, was, was the works of the devil. And so Jesus kind of rolls that back, works back on them, pushes on them how their theology is wrong, how their heart's wrong, and ultimately how they just don't get it. And chapter 13 is a really big turning point in the book of Matthew because what Jesus does is he changes the way he communicates. He stops teaching very plainly and he starts teaching in a way that's called parables. And so what we're going to do today, instead of actually looking at the parables that begin in this, we're going to talk about what a parable is because I think a lot of us have an idea but maybe don't understand necessarily why we're doing it. What's unique about this parable is that we have this exact story kind of coinciding in, in the Gospel of Mark and then bits of it in Luke as well. But what, we love, what I love about this one is that we actually see Jesus telling his disciples why he's communicating this way. And so we're going to look today at, at what a parable is and, and, and how that works. And so we're going to just kind of pick a few of these verses in, in chapter 13 starting in verse 1. That same day, so now that same day, we're going to pause there for a second. That same day is just when Jesus' mothers and brothers and sisters came and said, like, stop speaking. And we talked about that a few weeks ago before I left and, and then had a, a couple-week break um, with Mike teaching and Preston teaching as well. Um, but, but essentially, this is the day where they're trying to get Jesus to stop communicating because they're seeing some opposition come at him. They're hearing murmurs of people saying, we're going to destroy him, we're going to kill him because he's, he's making these claims to be God and, and that, is, that is wrong and, and, and ridiculous and how can he do it and, and therefore it's blasphemy. And so, so his parents are trying, his mom and, and his brothers are trying to get him away. So on that very same day, in this short period of time, he's, he's already kind of walked through the grain fields plucking um, wheat and eating it and, and being attacked for doing that on the Sabbath and healing on the Sabbath. This is all coincided in a very, very short time here. And so on that very same day, Jesus, on that day, went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Now, this is the Sea of Galilee, um, right by Capernaum, which is where uh, he spent most of his um, two, two years of this ministry here. Capernaum, I've been there before. It's really interesting. On the sea, wherever you are, it looks like an oversized Lucky Peak, in all honesty. Um, it, and it's, it's, it's this huge sea that kind of goes around, and you get all these other cities along it. And Capernaum sits at the very, very tip of it, where the, where the river comes in, and, and, and you can head north to Syria. It's right there. 
And what's interesting is about the, the beach along this area is it's super steep. And so you could, and there's actually, I've been in, in where they, they claim or they believe that the, the mount, um, where the Sermon on the Mount was done, where the Beatitudes come from right in that area, it's a, it's a pretty natural bowl, a natural amphitheater. And some of the local um, tour guides, our, our guy didn't do this, but some of the local tour guides will get on a boat and they'll go out like, 30 yards from the sea, and then they'll just talk it about this level unmicrophoned. And it's amazing how it just carries up this way. But this boat now Jesus is on is, is docked. And so he's, he, he gets in it and sits down, which sitting down and teaching is, is a really big deal. It's something that, that rabbis, teachers would do. No one else would sit and teach. And so Jesus is taking the posture of a rabbi. He's taking the posture of a, of a, of a teacher. And he sits down and begins to speak. And what's nice is the natural amphitheater and the upslope of the bank would have made it very easy for Jesus to speak to a massive amount of people. And even though Jesus at this point is, is experiencing immense rejection and, and immense opposition from the Pharisees and some of the religious leaders, he still is gathering massive crowds. And the crowds, a lot of the people that are showing up are probably just showing up more for, for their own personal interest and they want to see him do miracles and, and some are bringing people and we've seen stories up to this point we'll see them again where they're bringing people to be healed or they're coming to him for some specific healing but a lot of them are just there because it, in a way it's kind of like I want to see him do something neat and so Jesus gets in the boat probably helps from the crowd being too ridiculous and up in his business and so there's a little bit of separation and he begins to teach so he sits down and great crowds gather around him so he got into the boat and sat down and the whole crowd stood on the beach and he told them many things in parables. And then he goes into the sower of seeds. And we will go into this parable um, next week. And we'll start talking about it because there's a bunch of different ones of these parables. All speaking about something incredibly important for you and I today. And that's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like. And so he goes into these many, many parables. Now parables, at this point Jesus had already done Let's be honest, he's, he's, the, he's one of the best communicators ever. And you look at the, you look at the Sermon on the Mount and the way it was taught, it's, it's, it's amazing, it's deep, it's, it's rich, and people studied and studied and studied to try and get it apart. And realistically, what Jesus did in the Sermon on the Mount is he just, like, vomited out theology and the right thinking and the right heart attitudes and what, what it looks like. And he spent all these times, and even in his teaching thus far, he's used analogies. You know, the, the, he's, he said, you are salt and light. This is what it means to be salt. You're, you're called to be salt to this world. He, he talks about the birds and the lilies and how they aren't anxious about anything. He, said, he even talks about the foundation of, of truth being built on a rock. And it's almost like Jesus is kind of looking at things. He's like, like, you're the salt. And he picks up salt off a table. And he's just using what's around him. In fact, even in the Sermon on the Mount, I, I talked about there's a city up behind the bull right there. There's this huge city on the hill. And even him saying, you are a city on a hill. It's like he's pointing at that city. And so what Jesus is doing, like any good communicator would do, obviously Jesus is the communicator, but like any good communicator would do, they would take tangible things to help you understand somewhat intangible stuff. They would take these, these specific ideas and they would, they would bring out the story. The word parable in, in both its Old Hebrew meaning and in, in the, the Old Testament Greek and also in this, it essentially means to lay something a lot aside something. So it means like you would take, a, 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 you know, the, the sword was like this long and you'd grab a stick and be like, it's, it's, like, it's like this long. So you're trying to give the, the intangible something to understand. 
It, some would say they were, they're allegory, or some would agree, disagree that they're not, and some would say they're like a riddle. But either way, what we know about parables is essentially without them being defined, they're fairly useless. Without a parable being defined, it doesn't make sense. If I was trying to define a sword to you, and I didn't ever use the word sword, and we were playing like a Pictionary kind of game of some sort, it doesn't help unless you have an understanding of where I'm going. And so what Jesus is doing now is he starts teaching in parables. Now what's unique about these parables is that we know, and we see this right here, we'll pick up in a second, that, that he says this beginning of the parable, and then his disciples come to him. And they're like, hey, hey, why, why are you talking like this? What, what, what are you doing? This doesn't even make sense. Like, what, what is this seed stuff? What are you talking? I mean, we, get, we know every farmer, everyone that's not a farmer, everyone knows that you put seeds out on the fields and you understand how the roads work. We understand that. But what is this? How is that like the kingdom of God? It makes no sense at all. And what's unique about this, and we even get more, a clearer picture of this out of Mark, is that these disciples come to him in a private space. So whether he turns around on the boat and has this conversation with him. So when Jesus defines the parable, although we have it in writing, he does not define it to the crowds. So the crowds hear this interesting story that they don't really understand. The kingdom of God is like these seeds being sown. Well, what, what exactly does that mean? And we'll talk more about that. So he says, the disciples come to him in verse 10. We're going to jump down there. Actually, back one verse. Verse 9, he says, he who has ears, let him hear. Now that is a very, very common statement, not meaning like if you have ears, because, well, most people do have ears. But it is, if you can understand, then do so. If, if, you, if you get what's going on, then I encourage you, understand this. Know this. Know what this means. And so then in verse 10, the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets or mysteries, is that word, depending upon your translation, of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing, they do not see. Hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull or fat or lazy. And with their ears, they can barely hear. And their eyes, they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. And so then he goes on and says, but blessed are your eyes. Blessed are your eyes. And this isn't to the crowd. This isn't to the masses of people out there. This is blessed are your eyes, disciples. Blessed, blessed are your eyes, for you see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And so Jesus goes into this answer. Now, scholars are all over the board on to whether or not a parable should bring about clarity to truth or if it's concealing at the same time as revealing. And I think it's pretty clear a, a couple things. First off, most of all the parables have kind of one point to them. Their, their point is to depict one story. So to study the parables and to spend hours upon hours scrutinizing every single different thing it's trying to say, usually it should always point to the same thing. So the parables that we're looking at here, just in case you're wondering what they're about, they're about the kingdom of heaven. They're not about anything else. It's not some mystery of, oh, well, well maybe he's not talking about the kingdom of heaven. It's actually, he's, no, this is about the kingdom of heaven. He said it right here. Look, the kingdom of heaven, the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. 
the secrets. Now, that word mystery isn't like a secret novel where people like, like have to like pine over it to try and figure out. It. Mystery was actually an ancient word that would be used to understand a, a, a divine and beautiful, incredible, amazing secret of some sort that, that requires a revelation of something that was, wasn't known. But it's, that revelation is only entitled to those specific people. It actually, this, this, this word, these mysteries, these secrets was um, in ancient world began in Babylon. And there was this weird God that kind of came and he was supposed to be dead and then he didn't die and he was rescued. And so then they thought he was resurrected. And so it's a big long story. And that's kind of where these mysteries came from. So, so this whole religion came out of Babylon around this secret thing that only certain people were entitled to know. You had to be at a certain upper level of religiousness to know this. And so what this mystery means is ultimately there are revelations coming that weren't known beforehand. And so the mysteries that Jesus is talking about is the kingdom of heaven, which is, which is completely amazing because he even ends this section with, look, the prophets that went before you, they didn't see this. Like they, they, they prophesied, they talked about this kingdom that would come, but they wanted to see and understand what it really meant. In fact, 1 Peter tells us the angels longed from, the, from, the, the, from heaven. They stopped praising God. They stopped honoring him, and they turned over to see what happens in salvation through Jesus Christ on the cross. So we know that the prophets desired to see this. And so Jesus is saying, look, I'm about to tell these people something of mysteries, this incredible mystery that's being unfolded, this revelation that's coming about the kingdom of God. And I'm doing it in parables for this reason. And he goes on and says, and the reasons essentially are, he's, he goes on and says, those who have will have more, and those who will have not will have less. And those who have are already those who have salvation. What you have in Christ is salvation, belief in him. And so he's saying, look, if you have this, then more will be given to you. In fact, abundance, that word abundance means overflowing, amount that you're going to understand more than you've ever wanted to know. This may be hard for some of us in here but you've been following Christ for a while. You know, when you first came to Jesus, there was that, like, that overwhelming joy of like, what is this? How could he love me? How could he, how could he, how could he save me and change my heart and do this? This is, I don't deserve this. And there's this overwhelming desire at first, like, I got to know more of who he is. And you start digging in and start digging in and want to know more and want to know more, want to know more. That is a, a desire given to you by the Holy Spirit of God. It's inside you going, I want more. What's sad is some of you in here are like, I don't really want much more. I'm not saying that you don't have the Holy Spirit inside of you, but I think that, that we, should, we should desire this. In fact, this scripture, what Jesus is telling us is if you have, if you have the Spirit of God, then you're going to overflow with knowledge of Him. If you have the Spirit of God, then you're going you're gonna to want more and more and more. And He said there are those that don't have. Or there are those that when they, He said, how do you say it? Let me say it right here. It says, for the one who has more, more will be given. So if you have the salvation, you have this belief in Jesus, which the disciples did, they believed who he was. They didn't understand. They didn't understand, and that's why Jesus brings in the mysteries. Look, revelation is coming. You're going to understand a lot more, and it's going to be so much, your mind's going to be like, blown, whoa, didn't know that was coming, right? He tells them he's going to die and raise three days later over and over and over again, and they still didn't see it coming. But, but when they finally see him and they see the resurrected Jesus, their mind is blown. In fact, we're told on the road at that point, Jesus shows up to his disciples and unfolds the entirety of the scriptures to them. 
He says, this is what's been going on. This is what you miss. And he says, for the one, but for the one who, who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now, this is a really harsh reality. And essentially what he's saying is he's speaking very clearly at this point to the, to the Jewish culture, to the Jews around there, that believed that they had an understanding of who God was. They had this, this small amount. They said, this is who God is. This is how it works. This is how I'm saved. I'm saved because I'm, I'm born into a, the, the, a child of Abraham. And, and he's saying, no, what those ones have, even what they have, will be taken from them. What little revelation they have of God be snatched away in the end. We'll be gone. And so what he's saying is ultimately I'm speaking in parables because I'm communicating to my children. I'm speaking in a way that they can understand this because those of you that came, now any one of those people in those crowds could have come to Jesus and said, okay, dude, I, I, you got to help me out here. Like, I don't get this. Help me understand. And what that shows is a desire to draw near to him. But the problem is most of the crowds at this point had already rejected him. He was more of a circus act to them. Here, do something fun for me. Let me see something amazing. But yet there was no surrender, no belief. And some of it was because maybe they feared the, the religious leaders at that time and they saw the, the animosity that they had towards him. But either way, they were not surrendered to him. And so a lot of people will use this text to say, okay, well, this seems hard. Or some will say that this, some scholars think that the reason why Jesus is speaking in parables is it's a, it's a form of his grace because the, t- the, the Bible teaches that, that you cannot hear God's word and not have a reaction in your heart. It either gets hardened or softened. There's no like, I heard that, mm, interesting, nothing happens. Ultimately, the, the, the gospel and the word of God, it drives you deeper into relationship with him or hardens your heart harder. And so some scholars will say, well, this is his way of, of extending grace to those who don't believe. There's, there's not a lot that lines up to it. I mean, it could mean that, but ultimately Jesus is pretty clear. He's saying, look, I'm going to speak more to my children than I won't. We see that, that, that we are his children and our ears inclined to the voice of God. His sheep know his voice. All right, so this is this this parable, this, this, this parable happening is, is essentially teaching this main point of this principle, but it's, it's not for the crowds. Now, I don't think this is prescriptive for us. So I don't think that you and I should go, well, my, my brother doesn't know Jesus, so therefore I'm not going to talk at all about Jesus to him. I don't, I don't think that's prescriptive. This isn't one of those things where we go, well, let's be like Jesus in this, and let's, let's say some really crazy analogy that makes no sense at all and hopes to confuse those that don't know Jesus. That's not, that's not the point. What Jesus is doing here is there are people that claim to know him, and he's saying, you don't understand. In fact, let me show you. And he starts saying these parables. But I think there's some other meaning that's, that's beneficial for us today in parables. And, and as, I, as I wrestled with how do we communicate this, how do we, how do we make parables something that are like, oh, neat, that's great. Like, okay. Ultimately, I think what Jesus is doing is, is so beautiful for us. Because what he's doing is he's taking something in the kingdom of God. Let's be honest. No matter how, if he said the kingdom of God is this way and he like gave you word pictures and everything else, we'd still be like, what? I'm not, I don't really get that. Because ultimately, like, we, we don't have complete revelation of the kingdom of God. We, don't, we know that, that he's, he's prayed for it to be on earth as it is in heaven. We know that we're in this intermediate time that all the prophecies, including Isaiah, talked about the, the Son of God showing up, being rejected, being killed and destroyed, raised three days later, and, and his kingdom beginning. But there's still this, this in-between time, this time before Jesus comes back a second time. And we're in that spot. 
And so ultimately, all of us are, are experiencing revelation every single day because we're experiencing what it means to live in light of his kingdom today. Not just going through the motions, not just showing up to church on Sunday and pretending like, oh, okay, I did it, but actually experiencing tangible things of God's kingdom. And what I think the parables do for us are stories or when you lay something aside, a truth, I think what it does for his followers, for those of us in this room that claim Christ, I think what it does is it brings life to a truth that maybe got a little stagnant in us. See, because for me, when I, when I experience a story where it's like, I think I experienced it, and I, I joked a year ago when I went to the Philippines where it's like, I feel like I finally understand what the Apostle Paul said when he longed to be with the people. Like, I had this yearning to be with those people, but knowing that I was here and I needed to be here too. And this is the first time that I felt like that scripture came to life because I had a tangible story to relate it to. I had faces that met that. And I feel like we're stories or parables or allegories or any of those riddles or however they work in our lives, I feel like they bring truth to God's word. So I wanted to give you a story. Not a parable. I'm not Jesus. I'm not as good as him at that, okay? But this is just a little story where I feel like for me, it made sense of God's truth in a different way. And it's around prayer. We're called to pray. Jesus actually taught us how to pray. He said, pray like this. Yet, let's show of hands, who feels like at times they struggle to pray? Come on, be honest. Be real with each other. All right, anyone that's not raising their hand, you're lying. I'm just kidding. Look around at each other. No, don't do that. Okay. Um, point is we struggle to pray, right? We struggle. Like at times, and maybe the struggle is, I don't know if God's there. I feel like I'm just talking to myself. I don't feel like he's answering it. I don't, I don't understand it necessarily. Like I, I, I feel like I should, I should be more invested in it. And I know there's been times where I've prayed and God's shown up in big ways. And I know that maybe sometimes I'm praying selfishly. But there's this, there's this, Rhythm where we know the truth of prayer is existent. We see Jesus model it for us over and over again in his short ministry. I mean, short ministry on earth. He left the crowd to be alone with God in prayer. We see the Psalms cry out. Jordan read one of this morning. This cry out to God. Even Job, man, the guy's just like screaming at God. Right, there's this conversation where they're just, they're pleading and they're talking to God. And so for me as, as a pastor, I should go, okay, well, prayer is valuable, and therefore we're going to do it not just before we eat a meal. But we're going to do it as a, as a way of our life. Like the Apostle Paul, we're going to pray without ceasing. And we get so jacked up in the theology of prayer. Well, well, okay, now how does it work? Now, do I pray right? Do I pray to God or to Jesus? I know he said this. Or, okay, well, now how do tongues fit into this? And I, I don't know. And we spend so much time arguing about the theology of prayer that we just don't spend any time with God. And we just, we, just, we just mess it. And so I can come to God's word and I can read about prayer and I can see the theology and I can see the understanding and the, and the, the, the logistics of how to do it and, and why to do it. And all of me knows I should be praying and this is what it should look like. But I still struggle at times, like you. And then, I was in the Philippines, so I'm going to share this story with you guys. And we, um, one of the things that William and Mercy, the pastors of um, FCAC that we partner with, one of the things that they started doing about three years ago, a little over the first time we were there two years ago, um, they started spending some time working and doing Bible studies with uh, people in a community that's probably a 20-minute walk from them. It's like a five-minute trike ride, 10-minute trike ride. It's called Paradise Village. And the name, I'm going to miss it up, but essentially it's people are sent there that aren't expected somewhere else. Jake could probably add clarity to it. I was supposed to ask him. I forgot this morning. But essentially, people are sent there as a farce. They're thinking like when they're, they're going there, they're going to really Paradise Village. It is a dump. I mean, it is, it is 
horrible. This is, if you saw the video that Jake is putting up before where that ground was moving, it's like four feet of sewage and water with a bunch of trash on top that the kids are playing. I've got pictures from this time where you take a picture of the house and there's no floor. It's just rocks and, and what it fills up and they're raising five families and, you know, five feet by five feet. It is just the dumps of the dumps of the dumps. Like, I mean, it is, it is bad. A really great side note is uh, William and Mercy started Bible studies. They have over 50 people um, doing Bible studies in that place. They actually bought a little chunk of the garbage to build a church on to start doing there. So they're, they're moving full steam ahead in that way. It's really beautiful. One of the things that they did when we're there is they said, hey, if you can bring it, and you, you guys gave money to this, and we had money to buy a whole bunch of rice. And so we buy a bunch of rice and um, their version of ramen noodles and a thing of sardines and then powdered milk that they add water to so they can have milk and a little coffee and a little bit of sugar. And we put all those in bags and we load them in backpacks and we just kind of truck it from place to place. And essentially what we do is we go from all the people, the relationships that William and Mercy have, because honestly, every single person there needs rice and needs food. It's not a, it's not a well, okay, this person needs it, this person doesn't. They aren't waking up and going to the rescue mission. They aren't, they aren't figuring out where to eat on, on this. They don't have food stamps. They don't have any, any means at which they can do it. And so we just put them in our bags and load them. And, and Rob is probably here today. He, he won this time. He put 10, and they weigh about 10 pounds each. So he's rocking 100 pounds like little Rob. He's probably 100 pounds soaking wet. But either way, he's a strong dude. Um, and he, so he's hiking about halfway through. You look at him, he's kind of like, it's hot out here, you know. But anyways, we go from places, and, and William and Mercy just kind of say, okay, okay, we need one, and they just tell us who to give it to. And so we give it to them, and we tell them we love you, and, and God bless you, and, and William and Mercy have already, they've got this amazing discipleship program where they've got leaders on, on site working with these people, and so we just go to those families. And the thing about Paradise Village is it's kind of one way in, and you go in, and you kind of work your way around, you're, you're jumping over puddles of who knows what, and you get this spot, and you kind of do it, and then you have to kind of work your way back. And we're coming back out, and Pastor William, we come across one of the women's that we gave um, rice to on the way in. And, you know, it's essentially a seven pounds of rice and, and sardines and stuff like that. Depending upon the family, they will make that, if they have to, rationed out to last a month. And that's it. It's not like they're adding meat and vegetables to the rice. It's like they're eating that rice and the sardines, and that's what they live on. Some of them, larger families, will, will eat it in, in a, less than a week. But either way, we hand this to him, and he's like, she starts talking to him in Tagalog, and I'm not good at that, but either way, she talks, and he's like, oh, Bren, 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 come here. So I come over, he's like, I'm like, what's going on? He's like, you got to hear her story. I was like, okay, let me hear it. And he said, she was just, just before we came in there, she was literally on her face, which first off, excuse me for being somewhat American, but on her face in a place that's disgusting is, is pretty hard for me to realize right away. It's like, why would you put your face in that? She was on her face praying to God for food pleading for food, going, I got no means, I got no way, it's not like I can sell something, she has nothing to sell, it's not like there's livelihood, they would spend hours putting together little paper clips that would essentially give them a dollar for a bag this large, it'd take them hours upon hours, and so she had nothing, and so she just said, you know what, God provides, so I'm going to pray, and so she got on her face and prayed. And now you can argue all day long the theology, well, did God ordain me to, to decide in July that we're going to go and we're going to send money? Or three years ago, he set this thing in motion. It doesn't really matter when you get to be the tangible needs met of someone's prayer. Like, it's humbling. Humbling. I didn't do anything except for, here you go. This was, you know, I don't know, eight bucks, or here you go. Enjoy. And yet that person was on their face pleading to God. Why? Because she said, because I believe God could do it. 
And it just hit me for a second. When? When in my life, when in your life do you spend enough time praying on your face? Now, look, we know. We got the story of Abraham, Jehovah Jireh, right, or Jehovah Jireh. When God provides, he will show up. He will do everything. But when in your life have you sat down with a very basic need? I mean, so basic that most of us, whether we are in the dumps, have some kind of canned good that we can eat. It may not be good, but we can eat it. When have you gotten to a spot where it's like, God, I don't have anything? And there's, it's not like in the slums, they're looking around and going, well, you know, last time I prayed, this check showed up in the mail. They don't even have mailboxes. I don't even know how mail works in there. Right? It's not like she just got down on her face and said, God, I know you're good. What Jordan was saying at the beginning, I know you're good, and so show up. I don't know how I'm going to feed my family today or the rest of this week. I have no idea how you're going to do it. Would you please show up? And then we walk by and I hand it, and she smiled and left and didn't think anything of it, and then walking back out, William's like, no, we got to pause. you gotta, you got to understand. you got to understand what happened here. This woman went to our God in prayer, and he met those needs through us. And it's not about me and what I can do, but I can't help but feel prayer has a little bit more value in my own life because of that story. I can't help but feel that, 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 that maybe I'm missing something in prayer because I haven't been on my face in garbage and trash and sewage before God pleading for such a basic need that all of us have. And then watching God show up and be like, it's like he's lifting her out of that and going, I gotcha. Like, you know how much joy that probably gave him as a good father? Here is one of my children that I'm going to have to bring out of complete disobedience in Boise and raise him up for a long time and beat the snot out of him for a while to lead a church and then somehow get surrendered to be a part of amazing thing that, that another guy's leading to be in, in the Philippines. And I'm going to have that person and that $8 go to this one of my children across the world. And he did all that. Now we can argue, well, does it ordain or does it just happens or did she do it? We get so bogged down in the theology about who's right and who's wrong that really what happened, guys, a woman, a child of God, who wasn't a child of God two years earlier, got down on her face before the God that saved her in her 40s and said, Lord, give me some food. And his father showed up. And that has nothing to do with me other than the fact that that story for me makes prayer real. And I feel like if we don't experience a bit of the tangible part of his kingdom, if we don't get ourselves just a little bit our hands, and I'm not talking just going to the Philippines, I'm saying here we're going to do a, a serve Sunday where we close down our doors at the end of this month and we go and serve in this valley. If you don't get your hands dirty, you don't start experiencing a little bit of the tangible kingdom, what ends up happening is you just get stuck in this head knowledge that never ever moves to action and you become jaded and you don't have any stories. And it's like God is saying, I want stories to be a part of your life. I want you to see me in ways that, that it's, it's, it's speaking so clearly here, but you just need to experience it. So Jesus, when he brings out parables, he's not just telling a story so people can understand it. He's saying, look, look, this plays out in your day-to-day -day life. For those of you that have, you can have more. In fact, you'll have so much more to abundance, to overflowing. You won't be able to contain it. And so as his children, I would encourage you, let, let's let parables or stories be a part of our life. If you don't have a real story of where God showed up in some big way in your life or he is doing something where he gets all the glory for it and you get dilly squat of it, then I would just question, maybe you're just sitting in your seat too much. 
maybe it's time to, to experience something a little bit differently. If you're not rubbing up in a wrong way with, with people and you're getting hurt and getting burned and, and seeing the gospel move forward and, and, and doing that, then, then you're missing it. And what happens is these words become just words and they start getting deader and deader and deader. I love how last week Preston talked about God's transcendence and his, and his eminence, his, his glory and his mighty and his amazingness, but his relational. And like I said, I know I'm supposed to pray with God because of his glory and his amazingness and, and who he is. But I love, I love, I love that he wants me to be in relationship with him. Jordan's going to come up and we're going to finish off worshiping. But, but I guess ultimately, as we, the years passed, I was gone, but you know, everyone's, we're already in February, so people stopped talking about this new year. But I guess I just want to ask you, like, what, what story is God trying to unfold in you? And what is, he, what, is he, what is he trying to do where you're, you're not just going to go through the motions anymore? And some of you, like, look, the motions are you've got to get your degree and you gotta, you're getting married, and I get it. There are aspects of this life. There's nothing wrong with those aspects, but they're not supposed to hijack your purpose, which is his kingdom today and now. And we get so distracted by so many different things. We start fighting about the, the silliest things. And really, we're just sitting in a spot where all we want to do is, is fight about these words instead of applying to our life. And right now, Jesus is going, look, look, if I could just have your attention. Come on, walk with me. Step with me. Watch what I do. I will bring story after story after story where you go, it doesn't make any sense. It has nothing to do with me and everything to do with Jesus Christ and his glory and his glory alone. Jesus uses parables and mysteries to, to bring these story out of his kingdom. And the best part is we're going to get there. I'm, I'm assuming most of you in the church have heard this. But, hey, you're invited a part of that kingdom. Your belief and your surrender to God is you are now a part of that kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. This transition, this, this time that even the prophets scrutinized to see what would happen. They just died. In fact, some of them were, were, were killed for this truth. And you get to live in this existence Maybe you need a story. Maybe it's time for a little less comfortable. Maybe it's time that you stop pretending you know everything about this and just start realizing how little you know and start living out what he has given you in knowledge. Because as you live it out, he promises us. As you surrender to it, he promises us you will have an abundance of knowledge. We pray, Heavenly Father, thank you for your words. God, it's hard even looking at these parables and thinking about um, some of the stories of the kingdom of heaven about weeds being, being allowed to grow up amidst crops. God, there's, there's so many different things that come out of these parables that are, that are so hard theologically to, to understand and wrestle with, but I think ultimately it's not necessarily always just that theology. You're laying something aside it. You're laying something right down next to it so we can compare and understand who you are. And so I pray that, God, it wouldn't just be an understanding of knowledge that we, we get excited about, but it would be an application, a living out, a tangible, laying aside the story of that knowledge that you're giving us, God. And I pray that as we, we leave today and go have fun watching football or hanging out with friends, that we would be actively a part of your story, actively a part of what you're doing, redeeming one person at a time actively a part of, of living out the grace that we have received. Father, forgive us for losing sight of that. Forgive us for allowing your words to become dry. 
I think of a room this size and how many hands went up struggling with prayer. God, I pray that you would destroy each and every one of us in this room this week with prayer. That we would see and hear your voice in ways we've never heard it before, God. That we would understand something that we've been praying for clarity, God. That you would remove any selfish ambition or evil desire so that we could have pure and undefiled wisdom from above, Lord. And that that would show up in tangible ways in every one of our prayer lives this week. We praise you for all you are and all you do and all you're continuing to do inside of each one of us. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.